Uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to look at a couple different passages. We're going to be in uh, John chapter 1 and then Matthew chapter 28. We're continuing in our sermon series asking the question, are we on mission? And last week, Daryl did a wonderful job of uh, introducing this part of the series uh, in our mission statement, which is growing disciples. If you didn't uh, get a chance to be here last Sunday or you haven't had a chance to listen online, let me encourage you to go back and hear Daryl's sermon, uh, which talked about the transforming power of the gospel, the transforming power of a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is bedrock to and foundational to uh, growing disciples, which is what we're looking at last Sunday and this Sunday. Uh, before we jump into the text, uh, I want to tell you about something that happened to me in my life on September the 8th, 1998. So go back and, and think about that time period uh, and, and what maybe was going on. But about four o'clock in the afternoon on that, uh, that weekday, I got a call from a friend of mine, not a, not a great friend, not a best friend, but certainly someone that I, I spent a little bit of time with. He said, Tom, I'm going to this thing tonight and you have to come with me. You've, uh, you've got to be there. And, and I've got a couple other guys and no, you just have to come and see, right? And we were in St. Louis, right? So think about the date, September 8, 1998. Anybody who doesn't uh, work for a local sports station want to answer that question? Yes, ma'am. Mark McGuire hit home run number 62. There's the actual swing of that home run. And I was in the stands. There's my Mark McGuire baseball. And inside there, there are two tickets. One was mine and one I stole from one of the guys who was with me to, uh, to commemorate that. But when he called me on that afternoon, I know it's been tarnished a little bit. I know that, you know, it, it, it lost a little bit of its luster, but it'll always be a home run against the Chicago Cubs. So no matter what, we have that going for us. Wasn't yesterday afternoon so much fun? It was just so much fun, right? But we, we couldn't wait to get down there. When, when my friend called me, he said, Tom, I, I've got tickets. Can you go? I didn't say, gee, let me call Cindy and check, right? I probably should have, but I'm just like, I'm there. And, 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 and he's like, you know, you know, where will I meet you? I'm like, well, I'm halfway out to the curb already. So how about you just, you know, he's like, well, it's 3.30 in the afternoon. It's a little early. And I'm like, I don't care. I just want to be there. And we literally sat about eight rows off the field down the, down the right field line. It was truly remarkable. But he couldn't wait for me to come and see this particular person and that particular experience. That excitement to share something profound with a friend. John chapter 1, verses forty. Through 50, and then Matthew's gospel, verse 28, or, excuse me, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Hear the word of God. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? 
And Jesus said, so before Philip called you, when you were under a fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Then in Matthew's gospel. Now the 11, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection, immediately prior to his ascension into heaven. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, we uh, bless your name this morning. It's just such a joy uh, to uh, hear uh, our children recite Scripture to us, to uh, recite the books of the Bible in order. Uh, that's something they'll remember the rest of their lives. And Father, we thank you for that because it will, uh, it will guard their hearts. They will, they will know how to go to Scripture. They'll know how to study. They will know how to read on a daily basis and remember your great love for them. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you that it, it not only redeems us, not only tells us the message of salvation, but it calls us to follow and to trust the one who has loved us so deeply. So Lord, as we talked this morning and talked last Sunday about our part of the equation, going and growing disciples, making disciples, we pray that you would convict us with a, with a joyful conviction. Uh, that we would long to bring others to you, that our heart's desire collectively as a congregation and individually as disciples would be that we would point people to Jesus. Lord, if there are folks here this morning that don't know you, I pray that they wouldn't see Green Tree Community Church, they wouldn't see a pastor, they wouldn't see a bunch of second graders, they would meet Jesus. So Lord, I can't do that. Uh, it's not within my abilities, nor do we come here to listen to my words. We come to hear the word of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd forgive my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to your word. Teach us, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, so throughout this series, our, our summation, our sermon in a sentence, is simply our mission statement here at Green Tree Community Church. So if you're relatively new to Green Tree and you've maybe looked at our website, you've, you've seen this in there. It's to know Jesus Christ and to serve him in joyful obedience and to make him known in three ways, by growing disciples, planting churches, and renewing communities. And so where we are in the series is last Sunday, Daryl introduced uh, in a wonderful sermon, I listened to it on Monday morning, I was traveling, uh, but I got a chance early to, to get on my podcast and, and listen to his words describing the foundational aspect of discipleship, which is a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to build on that this morning. And the notion is, if we are disciples of Jesus, if we are being transformed, we've been redeemed, we've been saved, and we're now being transformed to be like him, where is the desire in our heart, as we kind of gauge the levels, where's the desire level in my heart and in your heart to bring other people to Jesus? Because ultimately, growing disciples begins with introducing people to Jesus, right? Whether they be second graders or whether they be adults, whether they be younger or whether they be older, the first step of discipleship is the step of faith of, of bringing uh, your heart 
into an understanding of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. How do we as disciples of Jesus, uh, how are we doing at that? Are we actually growing disciples? Are we actually committed individually and corporately to, as the sermon title says, bringing a friend to Jesus? Uh, Two observations, one out of the John passage and one out of the Matthew passage this morning. The first observation in John's first chapter is simply this. Discipleship begins with bringing a friend. Discipleship begins, it's not all of it, but it begins with bringing a friend. Uh, I'm going to back up and read a couple of verses that we didn't read uh, earlier. They, Andrew and John, said to him, Jesus, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, come, you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, which in our common vernacular is four o'clock in the afternoon. So the first thing I want you to notice is the, the, the first part and the, and the foundational part of discipleship is being with Jesus. I can't make disciples of a stranger. I can't say to people, come and follow someone I don't know. I can't say to somebody, uh, come and, and, and explore the claims of Jesus. I, don't, I, I, don't, I hear about him for about 20 minutes once a week, but I can't really tell you a whole lot about him. But boy, oh boy, is he really great, right? So Andrew and John said to Jesus, they're following him, which kind of creeps you out a little bit, right? You know, Jesus is walking down the street and it's like he feels somebody behind him and he turns around. There's Andrew and John. He's like, what are you guys up to? And they go, well, where are you staying? Well, come and see, right? So they, they're, they're following him. And then they just hang out with them. And it's four in the afternoon, so you got to figure, you know, they're, they're in bed by probably 10 o'clock that night. So they have about six hours with Jesus, but they're just there. They're absorbing what he's saying. I'm sure they're asking him questions. I'm sure their eyes are getting bigger, you know, the, the longer they're with him. But brothers and sisters, if we're going to grow disciples, we better spend time with Jesus. I better spend time every day with Jesus, not because I have to, but because I know when I do what's going to happen. And the second observation in in, in this notion of bringing friends to Jesus is not just time with Jesus, but what's a result of that is I see his compelling personality, right? One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first, notice that word, he first, he found a lot of other people, but the first person he found was his own brother, Simon. And he said to him, we have found the Messiah, now, think about this. The, the earliest this could be is the next morning, right? Because they, the, they spent the afternoon, they spent the evening hanging out with Jesus. The earliest this could be is the next morning. But let, let's assume that it's within at least a day or two. What's the first thing Andrew does? does? He goes and finds his brother and he says, we found the Christ. Think about that for a minute. The long-awaited Messiah that all the prophets have spoken about, the law of Moses has pointed to literally for thousands of years. And they spent maybe six hours with him. And the result is we have found the Messiah. The compelling personality of Jesus speaks for itself. I don't necessarily need to have the the slickest way to introduce people to Jesus. I don't necessarily have to know the, the, the exact right words to say. I simply need to spend time with him and then invite others to do the same and allow his personality to, to take over. Jesus makes a big impression with those who are willing to spend time with him. Uh, I was talking with, a, with a, a woman in our 
congregation who helps lead the, the women's teaching ministry. And she told me recently, I've, I've kind of stumbled into what looks like a, a, a Bible study that's brand new. She said, I was walking around our, the, the neighborhood just a little bit south uh, of our congregation, was inviting uh, mostly teenagers and middle school kids to come and, and get involved. And these are kids that I've known for years. I've built a relationship with them. And I'm talking to some of them. We're just standing out on the street chatting. And all of a sudden, a mom comes up and she's like, well, I, I want to get in that. And then another mom wandered over. She said, well, what are you guys talking about? Well, you know, we're talking about maybe a Bible study. That. And she said, well, I, I want to get in that. And all of a sudden there was a grandmother. And so what my friend told me is, I, I guess I'm leading a new Bible study, right? Of people that I just met walking around in their neighborhood, taking the time to get to know them, be in relationship with them. Why? Because she's been in a relationship with Jesus. And that's rubbing off on her. And she literally cannot help herself right? Time with Jesus means you're going to spend time with a compelling personality, which is going to be life-changing for you. And then the question you simply ask is, who do I know? Look at verses 43 through 45. The next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee. Now notice this, he finds Philip, and it's going to, Philip's impression of this is going to change in just a second, right? He found Philip, and he said to Philip, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, uh, it was a city up in, uh, in uh, Galilee, uh, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip what does he do as he's following Jesus? He finds a buddy of his, Nathaniel, And he says to him what? I love this. He takes credit for this. We found the one who Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Right? I, I love Philip's attitude. You know, I, I, I found Jesus. Right? Now, I've had people ask me about, you know, how did you come to faith? And maybe you've had that experience or you've shared your, your story from one time or another. And you probably talk about it in terms like I have. Here's a day where I decided to start following Jesus. And I'm sure when I say that, you know, the, the father up in heaven kind of smiles and says, isn't that Tom cute? Isn't he just so sweet? But, but he's just a mess. What is he? He thinks he found me. Doesn't he know that I found him? And that's exactly that's what the Bible says. The Bible says I wasn't looking for Jesus. He came and found me. So Philip maybe gets it a little bit off, but that's okay. He immediately goes and searches out a buddy and says, you're just not going to believe this, right? We found the Messiah. So I have to ask the question, who do I know? You know, the, the kind of this sermon is really an application of last Sunday's sermon. When, when Jesus begins to transform your life, which is clearly what's happening here, you don't just say to anybody you meet, oh, they're, they're pretty impressive. They must be God in the flesh. <laughs> you know, you don't say that, you know, that person's pretty impressive. Maybe they'll run for president someday, but that's a whole lot different than say this person's deity, right? So the, this impacts happen, but they naturally think, who do I know? I can go and share. Where, where are my family? Where are my friends? Where are my neighbors, my coworkers, my classmates? Who do I know? If I'm not looking at my world that way, then I'm, I'm missing an, a key understanding in the question of growing disciples. Because some people I know really well, and I know they don't know Jesus, and, and I can engage with them, but there are other people that I meet very casually. The person that serves me a cup of coffee at Caldi's, right? The person that, that serves me my, my omelet over at Spencer's Grill. These are people that, that, I, that I know kind of casually. Do I pray for them? Do I have a heart for them to know Jesus if they don't? Part of the, the application of discipleship is understanding that God's put me in a neighborhood, in a community, in a family. And one of the reasons he's put me there in that generation at that time is so I can share Jesus with others. But then when we do so, something that's absolutely crucial, and I think this text points out before we move to Matthew 28, is that we need to let Jesus speak for himself. 
Nathaniel says to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now you look at that and you go, boy, that's kind of a, that's a cutting statement. He must really not like Nazareth very much. But if you study a little bit of the history, I'm kind of a nerd like that. I look at some of the history. Bethsaida and Nazareth, they're about 20 miles, 21 miles apart. They're up in Galilee, up, up, up around the Sea of Galilee. And they kind of had a friendly rivalry that actually went back for thousands of years. They kind of always were in competition with one another. So it's kind of like me saying, you know, I don't really like those folks from Webster, right? You know, can anything good come out of Webster? I live in Kirkwood. I don't really mean that, right? Jim, I really do like you. You're from Webster. We're we're buddies. We're pals. But it's kind of fun to tease each other, right? It's kind of, and that's the notion here that that, uh, uh, Nathaniel's saying, really? Nazareth? But it also notes that, that Philip knew the scriptures and he understood that, that Bethlehem was where the Messiah was going to be. So he's kind of, this is a bit of a head scratcher. And Philip doesn't feel the need to defend himself. Philip doesn't say, how dare you question my judgment? Philip doesn't say, how, how, could, how could you not believe me? Well, Philip doesn't get into an argument with them. Philip doesn't try to defend himself. Philip doesn't try to prove anything. Philip says, come and look. All right? That's discipleship, brothers and sisters. Come and see. Jesus doesn't need my help, right? Jesus doesn't need me to explain him to anybody. Now he calls me to grow disciples and he may use me to share his message with others, but that microphone right there, if Jesus wanted to, could tell you about himself, right? He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I need to learn in discipleship that part of my role is to let Jesus speak for himself, I'm sure many of you have noticed that Christians in our generation, in this day and age, are particularly well-liked in our culture and also in our society. Why is that? Well, there, there are spiritual reasons for that. Satan uh, certainly wants to stir people up against us. Jesus said, the world's hated me. It's going to hate you too. So there, there's part of that in play. But sometimes, you know, those things happen and you don't control those things and I don't control those things. But there are times when I kind of paint a bullseye on my chest and I say, let me, let me give you more reasons to dislike Christians. And I'm argumentative and I'm arrogant and, I, and, I'm, and I'm rude and I'm unaccepting and, and I'm exclusive to others. And I haven't learned yet to listen for the sake of listening and then just simply allowing Jesus to speak for himself. I, I listen, but I listen because I want to win the argument. And that just absolutely is not what it means to follow Jesus. James says that very thing in his first chapter of his book. Know this, beloved. Let every person, that includes Tom Ricks, do what? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James says, Tom, be quiet and let Jesus speak for himself. Be quick to hear. What's the person saying? Why are they saying that? Your your goal is not to win the argument. Your goal is for Jesus to win the person. And, and, And when someone is... Uh, derisive towards Jesus, when someone speaks ill of Christians, when someone, you know, says, Tom, you're, you know, you're kind of anti-intellectual, but if you really follow Jesus, my reaction ought not be to get angry and defend myself. My reaction ought to be to dig in more and say, well, come and see, come and see, come and see, right? Look at verses 47 through 49, right? Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, and Jesus speaks for himself, and he, and he says, hey, Nathanael, you're a pretty good guy. There, there's no deceit in your heart. He's not saying Nathaniel's sinless. He's just saying, you know what? You're a guy that's got some character. And Nathaniel says, how do you, 
how do you know me? I have, have we met, right? Have you ever said that somebody and then you find out that, you know, like they've been going to church with you for two years, right? <laughs> do we know each other? Yeah, you know, I was in your Sunday school class for three years. Okay, way to go, Tom, right? How do you know me? Before Philip called you, I saw you, right? You're the son of God. Jesus can speak for himself. That's the first observation. Discipleship begins with bringing people to Jesus, but it doesn't, doesn't end there. So our second observation this morning is that discipleship must be intentional. For that, we want to go to Matthew chapter 28 for just a few moments. And the first part of our intentionality is understanding that we can have confidence in Jesus. So Jesus is now giving his final instructions to his crew before he leaves. And he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying, I, I'm in my resurrected state. I am the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So if I need confidence, if I need some boldness to be able to go and, and begin to make disciples, and I'm a little bit afraid and I'm a little bit nervous. Maybe I don't know the books of the Bible in order. Maybe I'm, I'm not sure the difference between Joel and Hosea and 1 Corinthians and Titus, right? It's not that I shouldn't study the Word of God. I should, but I'm, I'm, I've got my focus in the wrong place. My confidence on not being me. I'll never ultimately save anyone. My job is simply to bring folks to Jesus. But I can be confident in Him. He has all the authority. He can handle Himself. But I, that means that secondly, according to this passage in John in Matthew 28. I need to always be alert for the opportunities. What does Jesus say? Go, therefore, I have this authority, so you go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, so on and so forth. In other words, I need to be alert to the opportunities that are around me. Some translators have said of that Matthew verse, this Matthew verse, as you're going, make disciples. So as I'm going to get my cup of coffee, in the morning, I ought to be making disciples. As I'm going to watch my child's soccer game later on this afternoon, I ought to be thinking about making disciples. As I'm going to my office to do some work, as I'm walking down the hallways of my school, I ought to be thinking about making disciples. Why? Because that's what Jesus is doing. That's his business, is to call people to come and follow him. And he has the authority to do so. And he's also chosen to do that through you and through me. Not just the pastor, but every disciple is called to be alert for the opportunities. Uh, Jordan and I just got back from a golf trip. My youngest son, Jordan, called me back in February. He said, Dad, you want to go on a golf trip together? Now, as an adult parent, when your adult child asks you to go on a trip with them, you can just like get hit by a bolt of lightning right there. It's the greatest thing in the world, right? And I know all you younger parents with little kids are going, well, I don't think that's right. I, I remember when we were doing a, a search and one of the young moms on our search team, we were asking somebody to volunteer to go for two nights to go and visit a potential candidate. And she's like, a hotel room by myself and, and no kids? Or I'll, I'll go, right? But when you become an adult and your kids want to spend time with you and they're adults, it's like really, really cool. Jordan and I went on this golf trip up to a place called Sand Valley in Wisconsin, which last year was rated the number one new golf course in the United States of America. And when we went there, the golf course owner and the architect were there and they did a panel discussion one night and they talked about this particular piece of property. And he said, that we, we said, how did you find it? Because it literally, nothing against Wisconsin, every state has a middle of nowhere, but literally the closest gas station to this golf course is 30 miles away. It's in the middle of nowhere. And so one of the questions of the panel says, how did you find this place? And the owner says, you know, I had this guy call me probably 15 times and, and 14 times I said no. 
And then finally, I'm like, the only way I'm getting this guy off my back is if I go and I look at this property. So he said, we pulled up, we get out of the car. I'm with the architect. We drive, we walk around the property for about 10 minutes and we're like, this is it. We can see it. This is absolutely stunning. It's actually, this is going to be a phenomenal golf course. Why? Because they finally went and, and, and got their head up and looked around, right? Every day, you and I have the opportunity to get our head up and look around. And you might say, I don't think Jesus wants me to lead somebody to him, you know, at the gas station where I get my gas. Really? How come you know that? I don't think Jesus wants me to talk to my kid's teacher uh, about him. Really? Who, who gave you that information? I don't know that, that the people that I work with are all that interested in Christianity, so I probably ought to just kind of keep my mouth shut. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure that you're getting it, all right? Jesus says, discipleship is about me, bringing people to me. You have to be alert to the opportunity. But also, discipleship is about Jesus. Look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that nations are different. And it certainly doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that nations don't get along. And the reason for that is because people are different and people don't get along. And differences bother us. We like to run in our people group. Uh, if you're Scandinavian, you're most comfortable with Scandinavians, right? If you're from South Africa, you're most comfortable with South Africans. And within those nations. There are people groups within those nations that are most comfortable with one another. And yet Jesus says, I'm sending you to everybody, everywhere, all of the time. Now, how are we going to do that in Kirkwood, Missouri, in, in St. Louis, Missouri, when there are so many things that divide us, if we don't fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him? Uh, a friend of mine uh, who's actually here this morning told me recently uh, of, of a, a phrase that's become popular within the African-American community, and it's uh, the phrase, I am, I'm woke, W-O-K-E. As he explained to me, what that means is folks are saying, I I'm awake to what's going on around me, and I'm not being fooled anymore. And one of the repercussions of that is Christianity is a white man's religion. I got no need for it. I'm woke to that, right? How'd that happen? How do we get there, right? I think we all know a lot of the reasons for it, but my, my deeper question to myself is how do, I, how do I respond emotionally to that? How do I feel about that? If it makes me defensive, if it makes me angry, I'm outside the will of God. I'm, I'm missing the point. I'm making it about me. And Jesus said, go to everybody and go to everybody all the time. I'm not drawing distinctions, don't you? Friends, some things in my heart have to change. I think some things in all of our hearts have to change if we're going to understand that ultimately in its essence, discipleship is about Jesus and only Jesus. And whatever stands in my way needs to be moved aside. My biggest issue can't be how you choose to express yourself sexually. That can't be something that stops me pursuing you for the cause of Christ. If your political affiliation makes me stand back and fold my arms and say, well, I'm not like you, so I don't want to be around you, and I miss the opportunity to share the gospel with you, it's my sin, not yours. Social standing, appearance, you name it, whatever I let stand in the way of the gospel that comes out of my heart needs to come under the lordship of this verse. Tom, I'll make disciples of all nations, everybody, everywhere. That's my intention. Therefore, Christ calls us to invest in the relationship. Look at verse 20, teaching them 
to observe all the things I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You, you can't teach somebody unless you have a relationship with them. Everybody in this room, maybe, uh, maybe not everybody, but probably most people had a really good teacher that they remember, right? How did they, how did they make such a great impact on your life? Part of how they made the impact was not just their skill to teach, to deliver information, but part of it was probably the interest they took in you. It was probably the, 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 just the kinetic energy that there was a connection there and, you know, you really appreciated them. And so you let them in. You allowed them to teach you. You wanted them to have an influence on your life. Part of the reason you guys are stuck with me up here on Sundays is because of Mrs. Lau, my 11th grade speech teacher. She was phenomenal. She instilled in me the confidence that I could actually stand up and put two sentences together. Now, you may beg to disagree, and that's okay. You're entitled to your opinion, right? But, but she was the one that said, Tom, maybe, you, maybe there's something going for you. And here I am, I don't know how, how many years, I don't want to know how many years later. That was 11th grade. It was 1976, so uh, I'm not even going to do the math. But she made a difference. Why? Because she invested in me relationally. My, my friend Jeannie, who's, who's maybe this Bible study is getting started, how, how did that conversation start? She was walking around the neighborhood talking to people she knew, people that she was comfortable hanging out with, people who were seeing Jesus and her and wanting to know something. So Jesus says, look, I'm with you, so get on out there and, and, and bring folks to me. We're going to do this together. It's built on relationship. Brothers and sisters, our mission statement isn't going to change anytime in the near future, right? Nobody, I can tell you, the elders don't sit around in our session meeting and go, we think we're off on this mission statement. We believe it's dead on the money because we believe it's centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means that you and I, both by scripture and by identifying ourselves with Green Tree Community Church, are saying, are giving verbal consent to the fact that we want to grow disciples. But do I actually see it in my life? Do I actually want to bring a friend? To Jesus, am I intentional about discipleship? Cindy told me uh, last week she had a student who wanted to go to camp this summer. And, uh, but she didn't have the money. She came from a pretty big family, single mom, and she didn't have the whatever it is, I don't know, two or $300 to go, to go to camp. And she tells me this at 9.30 at night, which is a bad time to tell me anything because I'm almost asleep. It's like uh, we're almost asleep and she'll say, hey, do you want to rub my back? And I'm like, uh, yes, I really do want to rub your back. Um, and I said, just have her, you know, just call Diana tomorrow and tell her she'll take care of it. Boom. And I'm asleep. Why didn't I sit up and go, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to find $300. And could we get this kid? And why didn't I get all agitated? Because I know you guys. Green Tree is one of the most generous places I've ever been. If I said to you this morning, I need $300, there would be a fight to be the person that helped that kid go to camp. That's the heart that's at Green Tree. Does that heart translate? Listen to me carefully. Does that heart translate? into a desire to be the person, not who sends the kid to camp, but brings the family member to Jesus, brings the coworker to Jesus, brings the, the teacher to Jesus. That's the call on our lives. I know that, that, that you'd be more excited about giving money to see that kid go to camp than, than going to the most historic baseball game that ever has happened. But it doesn't just stop and start and, and end there. Jesus, if you're a disciple this morning, if I'm a disciple, Jesus calls us to follow him, to trust him, the one who's loved us. Remember those songs we sang at the beginning of the service so long ago, right? Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves us. He wants us to share that with others. He wants us to bring others into that relationship. Will we grow disciples? Will you pray with me?
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. It, it is a convicting word. Uh, it is a challenging word because we, we like to be safe and comfortable in this. Uh, for many of us, probably feels a bit outside of, of uh, where we, we like to be. Uh, and yet you, you've invited us to come be with you. And we are so joyful and so thankful for that. But you also call us to, to bring others. You've put us in our families and our businesses and our schools, wherever we are, whatever neighborhood we live in, wherever folks you know, we rub shoulders with, you've been very intentional about that because you want to use us to bring others to you. Father, help us to have that joy of sharing you with others. Help us to have an intentional heart, not to win arguments, not to, to prove other people wrong on us right, but to simply bring people to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.